Welcome back to Horoscope Witch, it's Mal, and welcome to episode number 27. Today is the second edition of the Horoscope Witch book club slash book talk. Um, So today I'm going to be talking about The Ethical Slut by Dosie Easton and Catherine List. I think it's going to be a really good talk. Um, Of course, I wanted to sort of bounce off my Women Who Run With the Wolves episodes. And I wanted to continue the book club and the book talk in some way. Now, if you listen to my Women Who Run With the Wolves book club, on the last episode, I said that I'm going to be transforming my book club a little bit into more of like a book talk. So if you listen to that, you probably heard me say that I wanted to basically do book talks maybe about once a month about books that have really helped me on the spiritual journey in some way or books that I just genuinely enjoy and I think that are important. So of course my spirituality bible was Women Who Run With The Wolves and you guys seem to really love those episodes so I wanted to keep doing them but the thing about doing like the big book club um, was that All of those Women Who Run With The Wolves episodes were like two hours long and there was like four or five episodes total. So that was like a huge investment (laughs) of my podcast time, I should say. So I wanted to transform these things into little book talks instead of a full-on book club where I sort of pull bits and pieces from the entire book and kind of give the highlights that way. Um, In order to listen to this podcast, again, you in no way had to buy The Ethical Slut or um, even if you haven't read it before. uh, It's really just to kind of pique people's interest and I want to talk about the highlights of these books that I enjoy and maybe sort of pique your interest in reading them too if you get me. So I'm excited. I'm also recording right now from my workplace so it might be why it's a little extra echoey and if it's your first time listening hi i'm mal i am a psychic intuitive i'm a tarot reader Um, i'm a student of astrology i'm a reiki master practitioner and i am based in the chicagoland area Uh, my workplace is called snowflake healing so if you are located in the chicagoland area stop on by we have metaphysical books we have crystals clothing candles psychics reiki classes witchy things (laughs) all things metaphysical shameless plug i actually don't know how many people on this podcast are actually like living in chicago i think like there's so many of my followers who like live in ohio for some reason (laughs) maybe i need to move to ohio i don't know what you guys are trying to tell me um but if you do happen to be in the chicagoland area definitely um, look up and check out Snowflake Healing in the suburbs of Chicago, specifically Willow Springs. So enough about that. Let's just jump right into the book. But first, I want to give a few disclaimers. I mean, guys, you saw the title of this podcast, hopefully. But if you are in the car with your children and you don't want them to be listening to this, you may want to save this for a different 
time because <laughs> obviously we're going to be discussing topics of sex and I'm probably not going to um, per usual you know I don't usually um, limit my language <laughs> so if you have kids maybe have kids around you maybe save this for another time or put your headphones in now the other thing about this book specifically the ethical slut a guide to infinite sexual possibilities so people genuinely or generally i should say call this sort of like a polyamorous bible or like ethical non-monogamy bible (laughs) and like a big chunk of this book does have a lot to do with like advice about how to open up your relationships and how to engage in an open relationship or how to like navigate the challenges of being in open relationships things like that have a lot to do with this book and I felt like I just need to give like a huge disclaimer that like in making this podcast or in making this book review I am in no way shape or form offering you any advice about how to go about your open relationship (laughs) like me personally I have absolutely no experience with ethical non-monogamy although obviously I find it a very intriguing and eye-opening topic to discuss if I really loved this book so much right so I just as a person a generally curious person Um, that's part of the reason why I wanted to read this book. I noticed that, you know, on Instagram and just in general, my generation um, of millennials or whatnot, it seems like uh, having like being ethically non-monogamous or uh, or in other words, like being in an open relationship is getting more and more popular. Um, Yet this book, I'm pretty sure, when was this originally written? This was like way before its time. This was written in like the 1990s so yeah this was like way before any of this ethical non-monogamy became trendy necessarily so again yeah I have I have no real life experience with ethical non-monogamy maybe one day five years down the road I'll be able to offer you some kind of advice I don't know I don't want to discount anything about my life or um, put any like put myself into any boxes that's part of the reason I really like this book it kind of shows you just what boxes you've been putting yourself in and it sort of challenges you to get outside of those boxes or whatnot but yeah again not the not the goal of this podcast um in fact I actually think that um what I'm lacking as a person in general is like someone very how do I put this like I need an average Joe Schmo to talk about this stuff (laughs) because like I follow a ton of different people on Instagram who are like sexuality doulas and they're um you know they they are talking about like sexual liberation ethical non-monogamy pleasure sex like all these people who are really open about Um, sex and talking about their sex lives and I follow all those people and I really find it inspiring and 
um, really cool what they're doing with their platform. Yet still for me, there's something like so inaccessible about um, the lives that they live in a way. And again, I'm not like uh, saying that I pass judgment on the life they live. In fact, like I applaud the life that a lot of people are living and sharing on Instagram. But then for me, like when I see an influencer who is like promoting this idea of sexual liberation and, um, they're, you know, they're posting videos of themselves like dancing really sexy or like being on a pole, like pole dancing and like, you know, sharing about their sexual liberation. There's something in me and this is my problem, right? There's like the projection of me onto them and being like, oh my God, like, I don't think I could ever be like that. Like, <laughs> like, I don't, I feel like that's so inaccessible to me. And um, so I guess, yeah, what I'm trying to say is that I realized that I am that average Joe Schmo that needs to talk about this stuff on some kind of public platform. Cause maybe I'm not the only person who feels this way like maybe there are some listeners on the other side of this podcast who are seeking like some kind of sexual liberation or sexual healing and they're kind of following people on Instagram and seeing what they're all about and things like that yet maybe for some reason or another they just kind of think like oh you know I could never be like that like at the end of the day I'm really never going to take a class about pole dancing like <laughs> not to not to belittle the experience of sexual liberating just sexual liberation just to taking a pole dancing class obviously it's much more than that and obviously you know what I have so like long of a journey still to go with my journey of sexual liberation and I wouldn't even really classify myself as sexually liberated in fact I'd probably classify myself as sexually unliberated (laughs) like because I'm really really especially lately like in you know if you've if you listen to every single one of my episodes you know that I struggle with um that idea and I struggle with my conditioning and I've said this a couple times but as a kid like there was no space whatsoever for me to ever 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 talk about sex so you know unlearning that um it was probably in the past year of my life where I like realized just how much conditioning I've been carrying and how it's been affecting my my sex life and my behavior sexually and things like that so again this is really coming this podcast is not coming from a sexuality doula it's not coming from you know someone who preaches about their sexual liberation like it's coming from a very um a very average person who's just working on themselves in that way so that is what I have to say about that also I want to say one more thing um this podcast is kind of purely selfish for me in a way like although I encourage you to read this book and I'm going to talk about how great this book is but I really want to set the intention for myself in a selfish way right now Um, I'm setting the intention for this podcast that it that it will be cathartic for me to talk about some of this openly with you all and that it will um, you know, aid me in my sexual healing by opening up 
um, my chakra, specifically my throat chakra, and speaking about the things that I'm interested in and the things that, um, you know, I feel that are important to discuss, right? So we'll set that intention. Oh my gosh, since we're in um, my reading room right now, I'm going to feel that intention and I'm going to hit this gong that's sitting next to me. Um, So let's all take a moment, take a deep breath, and let the vibration sink through you. Oh yeah, that was good. That was good, right? (laughs) Um, One of the people I work with, she is like an amazing sound healer, and she... When I'm lucky, she keeps her gong in this room and then I play with it all day. So, whew, I like that. So, um, where else? What else can I say? Um, yeah, let's just get into it. So, right now for the book talks, my only guideline for picking any books right now um, is really just the premise that I feel like everybody needs to read these books. <laughs> like, uh For Women Who Run With the Wolves, I totally think everybody needs to read that. Um, The Ethical Slut, again, I totally think everybody needs to read this. And I really want to make the point that even if you are never, ever, ever going to identify yourself as a slut or you think you're never, ever, ever going to be in an open relationship or a non-monogamous relationship or you feel very happy and fulfilled as a monogamous person, I still feel like this book has literally so much to offer. Like, even after reading this book, like, I'm not really sure if I will ever um, embark on any sort of non-monogamous relationship that's kind of, again, I'm leaving that up to the universe. (laughs) If that's something that manifests in my life, maybe. Um, I'm not completely sure that would be something that I want. Um, Again, like, We'll talk about the programming, the monogamous programming that we all have inside of us. So I think right now I'm still working through some of that. Um, But again, like you don't have, that doesn't have to be your goal. Your goal does not have to be, um, oh, I really want to be in a non-monogamous relationship. I should read this book. Uh, of course, if that, if you want that, this book is great, but it's so much greater than just that because it's it's a thought-provoking book. It's about more than just sex. It's actually more deeply the root is the way we communicate with each other and the way we communicate with our partners about sex, about uh, love, about connection, about intimacy. And I think that's what's so important about this book. So again, that's why I picked it. And I don't want um, anybody to like click off just because they think this whole thing is going to be me talking about um, like how great ethical non-monogamy sounds uh, because it's not necessarily exactly what I'm going to cover. I'm more going to cover the parts of the book that really hit home with me about my internal conditioning and I'm going to talk about the parts that really made me think about um, my behavior and like is my behavior really what I want or is it really just what I've been conditioned to do so if I were to give this book a 
tarot card, it would probably be the mixture between the hero font and the queen of wands. <laughs> I won't go into that, but if you're a tarot, tarot reader, you maybe you, you're speaking my language then. Um, so let's start. the One of the first things that, you know, they say in the book, um, I'll just refer to the authors as their, with their first names. So Dosie and Catherine. One of the first things that Dosie and Catherine tell us is um, they say to us, a slut is a person of any gender who has the courage to lead life according to radical proposition that sex is nice and pleasure is good for you. Okay, so let me read that one more time, that last part. They said sex is nice and pleasure is good for you. So I thought that was like if any takeaway, if you're going to click off this podcast like and you're only going to get one takeaway, it's that. And I think it's kind of sad actually that we live in a society where it is a radical idea that sex is nice and pleasure is good for you. Like if you think about it, that's actually kind of like a controversial statement to say. It's a radical thing to state about sex, right? Uh, And isn't that sad? Isn't that so sad that that has to be that level of, um, like it has to be that radical? Uh, I think if we're ever going to move forward as a society, I think we have to start normalizing that concept that sex is nice and pleasure is good for you. And can you imagine like just how much the world could change if that was the case? Because here's what happens when we operate our society in the notion that sex is bad and pleasure is not good for you, right? Let's turn the table on that. Sex is bad and pleasure is sinful, maybe we should say. When we operate from that frequency, actually we're operating on a very, very, very low frequency, right? Because um, as a human that chose to reincarnate on this planet, one of the things that you know you just have in your bag of like universal divine right is pleasure, the ability to feel pleasure. Yet, so many of us through many, many, many lifetimes have had our ability to feel pleasure stripped from our hands. And we've been told that our ability to have pleasure is actually sinful, right? So as simple of a statement as sex is nice and pleasure is good for you, um, as simple of a statement as that is, it's actually extremely difficult to implement Um, And it's extremely difficult to accept and really live your life from that concept. Because again, from society's viewpoint, that's not actually how we're supposed to be living our life, right? Um, So on page five, uh, by the way, that quote was on page four. But on page five, uh, Catherine and Dosey, they said, the world generally views sluts as debased, degraded, promiscuous, indiscriminate, jaded, immoral adventurers, destructive, out of control, and driven by some form of psychopathology that prevents them from entering into a healthy monogamous relationship. Oh yes, and definitely not ethical. 
<laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's true. And um, like the word slut does not have a good connotation, right? Neither does the word whore. <laughs> like there's a reason I didn't name my like Etsy business. Uh, I didn't name it Horoscope Witch, right? I named it uh, Desert Rose Divination because I didn't think that the world was ready for me to name my business with the word whore in it. <laughs> but I'm starting to think I probably should have. I'm kind of getting sick of my name and I think I might change it soon. Um, probably because, you know, it did come through from spirit, but also I'm getting that I'm going to outgrow that name pretty quickly. And honestly, if you're a reader or a psychic or whatever, and it, it seems like that's a common theme, like we all try to Get, have our name be something like really creative and then later we just change our business to our actual names and we're just done with it but <laughs> but anyways like going back to the word slut and its negative connotation I think it again goes back to that sin-based narrative right um the fact that sex is a sin in that puritanical society that I think we still live in and I think spiritually if we are ever going to progress as a human race, I think we really got to stop promoting the idea of sin being real. Now, what are the odds of that actually happening? Probably slim, at least right now, just because we're still, you know, at least as a person who lives in a Western society, um, we're still really, really based in that Christian ideology of sin and divine punishment and the fear of hell uh, which makes me mad because you know as a person who's communicated with people who have crossed on like and I have felt what the other side feels like I've never felt the presence of hell (laughs) like I actually think it's quite um not a very well thought out idea, right? Because uh, it's just like when we believe in hell and we believe in divine punishment and we believe in sin, um, we create a sort of narrative about ourselves that something is inherently wrong with us, that we were born into this world with things that needed to be changed or needed to be repressed specifically a lot of those things are our sexual feelings right our ability to experience pleasure so it's no wonder why the word slut and the word whore um is so triggering to people right we use that against each other we we call people sluts as a um as an insult But when we call someone a slut, what are we actually saying? We're probably saying something along the lines of, you're going to go to hell for having sex. Have you ever thought about that? Right? Like, and even when, let's say you were, I don't know, like, I could imagine like, in middle school or something like me, like hearing about, you know, someone, um, I don't know, having sex or whatever. And we, me and my friends might say something like, oh my God, like that girl's a slut. Or like, oh my God, that's so slutty. She's dressed really slutty. All of these things that I think a lot of us are probably guilty of saying, especially when we were younger about other people. 
what were we really saying? We were just repeating a story that was told to us, right? We were repeating that Christian ideology of sex is sinful. So again, when we use these words in a negative connotation, uh, that's what we're really saying, right? Whether we are aware of it or not, that is what we are really saying. Um Thinking, oh yeah, I said thinking that you are a sinner because you desire joy and pleasure uh, will actually make you sick, right? That's also the other thing that I was thinking about while I was reading this. So many of our illnesses um, have emotional roots, right? So I think if you are a woman and you suffer from you know, really horrible menstrual pain, if you have um, any sort of ovarian cysts, um, anything along those lines happening in the uterus area, the vaginal area, things like that, um, there's usually an emotional root to those things. And it might very well be, at least this is what I feel as an energy healer, it might very well be the fact that our whole lives, we've been fed the idea that like sex is wrong in some way. At least most of us have. And again, even if your parents did not feed you that idea, society probably fed you that idea in some way. So when we have the emotion of sex is wrong, stuck in our bodies, how does that manifest? Again, I've talked about this before, how different emotions will manifest through the body. Um, and we actually start to look at that area of the body as shameful. Um, even think of, um, you know, for people who identify as a woman or people with vaginas or people who menstruate who are listening on the other side of this podcast, most of us, when we started to menstruate, were not happy about that, right? I um cried when I started to menstruate like and not in a good way like I was horrified I was absolutely horrified mortified shame I had so much shame I didn't want to tell anybody I was so embarrassed and for years I had such bad menstrual cramps that I went on the birth control pill around the age of 15 16 and I was on that for about five years straight afterwards and it wasn't really for contraceptive at that time but it was for the pain but no wonder I had that pain because I had the shame right pain equals shame pain equals shame a lot of the time so where you're feeling pain in your energetic body uh, what's the emotional root of that so the other thing I think how this manifests this idea that sex is sinful sex is shameful uh, we see this in both um, in both men and women and anybody who identifies as non-binary, um, the inability to orgasm. So one thing that we see on, let's say, like the platforms of, uh, I don't want to say like sexuality influencers, but we can call them that. <laughs> Like we see on the platforms of sexuality influencers, a lot of the times like this narrative that, um, you know, we can, sex isn't just about penis and vagina sex. It's uh, about pleasure and sex doesn't have to be about the orgasm and orgasm shouldn't be the goal of sex. In fact, in the ethical slut, 
that's something that they talk about. They're saying like pleasure is the goal of sex, um, not necessarily having the end game of orgasm. Yet we see a lot of this narrative, um, especially these sexuality influencers, specifically speaking to, I think, women, uh, people who identify as women and telling them, if you have the inability to orgasm, it's completely fine. Like you will, um, you know, there are other ways to find pleasure and you can have a pleasurable sexual experience still. And there's plenty of women out there who don't experience orgasm. So that's a story that's kind of being fed right now on the internet. Now, on one hand, I like 100% agree totally and completely. And I would never, ever, ever, ever shame anybody or want anybody to feel ashamed for not being able to achieve orgasm in some way in a sexual experience. Um, And I think it's always such an amazing point of view to have that sex is about pleasure, right? It's about pleasure. It's not necessarily about the end game of orgasm. Yet, I do, as an energy healer, there is kind of a problem I take with telling a woman, you know, let's say a woman is suffering from their inability to orgasm. It's something that bothers them. Um, It's something that may, I don't know, just like something they want to work on, but they don't know how. Like as an energy healer, if my client came to me and they were like, hey, um, I... I haven't, I don't have orgasms. Like I don't, what is, what is the emotional root? I feel like I could in some way help them feel that emotional root out, right? Like what is the emotional root of that? Um, Where is this coming from? Is this a past life thing? Is this a contract that we signed when we came to this planet? And is it something from a past life? Or is it something from childhood? Like there's so many emotional roots when it comes to pleasure and orgasm. And I think as an energy healer, although I've been an energy healer for less than a year, right? So I have a lot to learn. I'm not saying at all that I know anything. And of course you can totally, completely 100% disagree with me about what I'm saying. Cause of course I think there is a lot of like pressure put on women of course in the media in even in the spiritual realm like that like oh um to be this like sexually liberated witch who's like having 10 orgasms a day and if you're not like that it's really shameful and like you got to get your shit together like (laughs) like I don't believe that right I don't think we should buy into that narrative but what I'm actually trying to say (laughs) where am I even going with this what I'm trying to say is that like that narrative and those past life wounds and those childhood traumas, they definitely have something to do with anybody, not just women, but anybody's inability to experience pleasure, have an orgasm. And that should be something that people, um, you know, I would say that should be something that like a practitioner is willing to discuss with someone or like willing to talk about with someone. I don't think we should ever write that off as like, oh, well, maybe you're just the type of woman who doesn't get to have an orgasm and that's totally fine. Well, what if that woman wants to work on that? Or like, what if that woman wants to experience that? What if that's something that they want to have in this life? Uh, what's, who's to say that they were just born with the inability, 
right? Who's to say that a really good energy worker or a shamanistic practitioner or a past life regressionist or an Akashic Records reader couldn't help them with that, right? So again, I hope I didn't offend anybody. I think that's always my fear, but also I gotta I gotta get over that because I want to say what I feel, right? In uh, if you you are very welcome to disagree with me. So if you do disagree, you can totally DM me. I am more than willing to have a discussion with you. Uh, but getting back to the actual book, sorry, I got on a tangent there, but I thought it related to this idea that sex is healthy and pleasure is good for you. So on page 19, uh, Dosi and Catherine, they say, our culture positively worships self-denial. Those who unapologetically satisfy their desires, whether they be for food, recreation, or sex, are vilified as immature, disgusting, even sinful. While we leave it to the authors to speak out against anorexia and workaholism, um, we can certainly say that we see the path of sex negativism. (laughs) and living in sexual deprivation is a harmful thing self-loathing hatred of one's own body and sexuality fear and guilt over one's sexual urges are the outcome yes okay so that is page 19 so here's what i want to say too um like the culture of self-denial and self-hatred like denying ourselves food, pleasure, sex, orgasm, things like that, that makes people money, guys. Uh, People make money off of that shit, right? You wouldn't buy half the shit you do if if someone didn't teach you to hate yourself, right? Uh, So self-denial makes money, and capitalism loves self-denial and self-hatred. And as we've seen in the news in the past couple of in the past month or so, especially if you live in the United States, um, we are completely, uh, I have to say, I think as a society, we're kind of, again, we're, we're going backwards. We've established that, right? And in taking away women's reproductive rights, we're going backwards. But when women don't have reproductive rights, that's good for capitalism, right? Um, when women and people in general hate themselves, that's good for capitalism. Uh, when we create this sort of self-denial and the shame around food and dieting and la, 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 that's really, really good for capitalism. So just remember that. like That's the program that we've been fed, and that's probably the program that is hardest to break and something that I've struggled with myself. And um, then Dosi and Catherine, they say, we see ourselves surrounded by the walking wounded, by people who have been deeply, if not irrecoverably, (laughs) sorry guys, I can't talk right now, Um, injured by fear, shame, and hatred of their own sexual selves, right? So... Um, I think for sure, like a huge um, example of this would be like internalized homophobia, like hatred of ourselves if we feel attract attraction to the um, same gender as us. Uh, I would say for sure, um, more than 
heterosexuals for sure. If if you do identify as queer, gay, lesbian, bisexual, of course there's going to be like an extra added layer of shame and hatred against your sexual self that you will need to work through. But I think also any sexuality, it doesn't matter, um, asexual, heterosexual, homosexual, whatever, I think there's always a layer of shame and hatred about yourself and your sexual desires because, again, that's the programming. That's what we've been fed. Now, I'm not saying that a straight person deals with the same level of hatred as a gay person. I'm not saying that at all. Um, Obviously, straight people have immense privilege when it comes to navigating this world. But I think it is important to remember that we all have some kind of shame. And it helps to remember that. And obviously, if there's so much homophobia in this world, and so much fear of sex, and that narrative that sex is a sin continues to um, to populate, I don't know if that's the right word, <laughs> to populate um, the society, of course, that's a projection of our own internalized shame against sexuality, right? So those things could not exist if we did not hate that part of ourselves or if we weren't taught that we are supposed to hate that part of ourselves. Now on page 20, the authors talk about the trap of rationalizing sex. So we're kind of flipping gears here. Like that was more of like the general introduction, but now we're actually talking about what is sex for, right? And why do we get into relationships? So on page 20, the authors kind of list the different rationalizations that we use for having sex, right? Because I think this is also embedded in the sense that sex is sinful or like sex is wrong. So we have to rationalize why we're doing it. So some of these rationalizations could be um, releasing physical tension, relieving menstrual symptoms, maintaining mental health, preventing prostate problems, making babies, cementing relationships, and so on are all admirable goals and wonderful side benefits of sex, but they are not what sex is for. Sex is for pleasure, a complete and worthwhile goal in of itself. People have sex because it feels very good and then they get um, and they feel good about themselves. The worthiness of pleasure is one of the core values of ethical sluthood. So, yeah, the worthiness of pleasure. Isn't that an interesting concept? And now I want all of everybody who's listening and also I'll do this to myself. Like think about all the times like in your life that you've somehow rationalized like wanting to have sex, right? Um, you've somehow uh, made excuses or like wanted to find a reason behind why you wanted to have sex, right? Well, what Dosi and Catherine are saying is that we don't need to rationalize it at all. Like maybe sex is pleasurable and pleasure is good for us and that's the end of it. And again, isn't that such a radical idea? (laughs) Like it kind of blows my mind how radical that idea can really be, but it's true. And when we live in such a society that shames us um, and promotes these like harmful ideas, 
about sex and about self-esteem and things like that. I mean, yeah, that pleasure is good for you. Of course, that's going to be radical. Now, on page 23, um, they kind of talk about this concept of like sex for sex sake. Like there's no real reason behind the sex um, apart from mutual pleasure. So they say a relationship may be valuable simply because it affords sexual pleasure to those involved. There is nothing wrong with sex for sex sake, or it might involve sex as a pathway to other lovely things, intimacy, connection, companionship, even romantic love, which is in no way um, obviates the basic goodness of pleasurable sex. Okay. (laughs) So yeah, again, like that's also one of the rationalities behind having sex, right? Like we may want to achieve some kind of intimacy, some kind of connection. We may want to solidify a relationship, a companionship. Um, but again, they go back to this idea of why is the basic goodness of pleasurable sex, why does it need a reason, right? Um, if two people, two or more people are willing to have like a mutually pleasurable experience together, why does that need any sort of rationality? <laughs> um, and I think also it goes back to and we'll talk about this as the episode progresses about the hierarchy of relationships. Um, but like, who's to say that I think like the pleasure from, um, let's say, a one-time partner, who's to say the pleasure you feel with them is any less pleasurable than the pleasure you feel with a long-term partner, right? But there is this inherent, because we live in a monogamous relationship kind of society, there is an idea that like the pleasure that you could have with a short-term partner is not like worthy or is dirty even. Um, isn't worthwhile, isn't um, real even, like it's delegitimized somehow, Uh, like the fact that certain partners are quote-unquote less important than another partner just because, you know, one person has been in a relationship that's been monogamous for 10 years, somehow their relationship is quote-unquote better than someone who just has is single and has various relationships with different sexual partners and they're extremely happy like where's the balancing scale why why is there this hierarchy of relationships and why is there a hierarchy of the type of relationships we choose to get into and i think that goes back to why i said in the beginning Um, everybody needs to read this book (laughs) because I do think that, um, especially like monogamous couples or if you're a monogamous person, I think there are situations where, um, we subconsciously or consciously think that that is better than someone who chooses to, let's say, have a casual sexual relationships with multiple people with no strings attached. Um, Because if a monogamous person is always going to put that energy out there, that, like, I am better than that, 
Um, let's just wait until that person grows up. One day they'll settle down and they'll find their, you know, person of their dreams, la, la, la. I think that's kind of a narrative that we have to change. And I think that if you are a monogamous person in a monogamous relationship and you feel on some conscious or subconscious level that that is somehow the best relationship or that somehow a better relationship than anybody's anyone else's i think that's where we have to take a step back and we have to do some self-reflection and read books like this right um and that's why i said again in the beginning even if you are a monogamous person who has no desire to ever enter into an open relationship with someone. I think even just understanding that a person who chooses this lifestyle is in no way less than you um, is important because I think that's also the struggle, right? I think there's an inherent misunderstanding of people who choose to be ethically non-monogamous with their partners there's this understanding that oh they must not really be in love if they're doing that or like oh that must be really immature or they must be commitment phobes or they're just not willing to settle down all this garbage that we spew out and all these judgments that we pass we have to be aware of where that's coming from and again ding 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 comes from that conditioning sex is harmful sex is bad for you sex is a sin so if we're not aware that we have that conditioning and we're just barfing all this shiznit on everybody else that's when we start to like project things on others right and i think there's a certain level of self-awareness that this book kind of evokes (laughs) in a way and again like I'm not saying I haven't been one of those people right like I would say maybe there is a time when I was younger especially in college like when I was monogamously partnered with one partner I think there was definitely a part of me that felt better than um, maybe a friend that was just having casual hookups and I would be like, oh, well, you know, of course you'd be fucked over. I mean, you, you know, you casually hook up with people all the time. You know, you got to be, you got to respect yourself. You got to do this. Like all that conditioning, like I totally thought those things, right? And I'm not embarrassed to say that. Like, I think I'm willing to like come to full terms with how I've grown and like um, the expansion of my thought process and my self-awareness. And it's certainly not over. And I think there's still that side of me that's inside of me somewhere that like wants to come out and just be released. And um, yeah, but I think there there's also that yeah inherent notion that maybe people who um, engage in that kind of casual sex or an ethical non-monogamous relationship lack some kind of self-respect. And again, like, oh it's just like the hero font card right (laughs) it's just so much about what we've been conditioned to think and what we've been conditioned to feel about certain relationships and I think it's important for all of us if we want to be more open and non-judgmental of the person sitting next to us we do have to do things like read this book to open our minds to how different people may be um now granted I don't think Dosi and Catherine the authors like I don't think they are 
saying that this kind of lifestyle is easy, right? And I don't think they're saying that this kind of lifestyle is for everyone. Uh, they do talk a little bit on page 28 about the shadow side of sex. And I think this can relate, we can, no matter, you know, what kind of relationship you're in or what kind of sex you may or may not be having, I think this statement that they make relates to all of us. So they say that sex can be misused as a substitute for connection, emotional relationships, or a solid sense of internal security based on knowing your own worth right? Um, So I think at the end of the day, uh, sex is most commonly mistaken for a sense of self-worth, right? And I think that's one of the hardest things to remove ourselves from when we are engaging in any kind of sex with any kind of partner, whether it be marriage or just a casual um, situation, I think there does have to be a great amount of self-awareness that has to come about in order to have sex from a place of self-worth, from a place of, um, I want to say, like, being spiritually sound. And to be honest, like, as a person, I don't know if I'm there yet. Like, (laughs) and that's just me, like being honest with myself, like, I don't know if at this moment in my life, I can engage in a sexual relationship without projecting any sort of self-worth garbage on that partner. Um, So even just by saying that, I can become more aware of it, right? And I can bring this up in um, therapy, or I can bring this up to the psychics I work with and I can keep this in the back of my mind when I'm working on myself and doing Reiki on myself and working on my own self-worth and just by admitting that to myself um, that's kind of like where I'm at with the sexual healing process so I told you guys like I'm in no way shape or form like <laughs> like sexually liberated as they would say right <laughs> um yeah so let's take a quick break and I'm gonna come back and we're gonna talk about like the myths behind certain relationships so be right back guys all right guys I'm back so on page 30 Catherine and Dosi they start to really go into an interesting part of the book about the myths the myths of relationships and kind of like the medicine or the pill that we're forced to take uh, and these these are our things that we have been conditioned to believe but may not be true for us and this is one of the most important parts of the book I think that really stuck out to me uh, that was like really I think something that everybody probably needs to read at some point so the first myth that they talked about, which I kind of already touched on, but uh, the idea that long-term monogamous relationships are the only real relationships. So that's the first myth on page 30. The second myth, loving someone makes it okay to control their behavior. Ooh, ouch. 
that's a tough one, right? Uh, but how much, how many people or how many relationships or how many relationships have we been in or how many relationships have we seen where uh, the people think that because they love each other, they have the right to control each other. Um, so that's a big one. Uh, another one, another myth, uh, jealousy is inevitable and impossible to overcome. So I think like jealousy is kind of a fear within all of us, whether we are in a monogamous or a non-monogamous relationship. And I think we do have to deal with jealousy no matter what kind of relationship we choose to be in. Now, I will say that um, in like the timing of this podcast, I'm not going to take the time to like go into the specifics of how to overcome jealousy in your relationship. Uh, but I will say that if you are interested in like ways to overcome that or ways to work on that, um, the, the book has like an entire chapter about jealousy, especially in the context of non-monogamous relationships. I will say that I think the main teaching um, that the ethical slut offers when it comes to jealousy and tough emotions is to own the feeling, which I thought was, again, really radical, right? Because when we get jealous, we blame the other person. We say, oh, well, you made me jealous when you were talking to that other girl. Or like, oh, I just got so jealous when you, you know, hung out, you hung out with your friends and made me feel jealous and <laughs> the whole point of that is like Josie and Catherine are like whoa no 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 homie nobody's making you feel anything you have to own your feeling and I think that's radical too right because there's an inherent understanding that jealousy has to do with the other person that you're dating right and jealousy is almost like not even your emotion so I think their main teaching is that we need to learn to own our jealousy and own our emotions and know that no person can actually make us feel any which way we choose to feel X, Y, or Z. Now, easier said than done, but I'll just touch on that. I just touch on that for a little bit, but if you want to read more into that, that is definitely a reason to read this book. Now, one of the other myths um, that I wanted to go further into was that um, outside involvement involvement reduce intimacy in the primary relationship and impede problem solving. So yeah, this is the myth that like if you opened up your relationship or a person um, in an open relationship, there's going to be sort of this um, this imbalance of energy right so it would reduce the intimacy between the primary partners if both primary partners had secondary partners of their own um and then Dosi and Catherine they elaborate on this um and they kind of touch on the idea of infidelity and cheating so they said most marriage counselors are taught that when a member of the otherwise happily married couple has an affair this must be a symptom of unresolved conflict or unfulfilled needs that should be dealt with in their primary relationship. And then further, many people have sex outside of their primary relationships for reasons that have nothing to do with any inadequacy in their par partnership or their relationship. So I think that's really good um, 
that's a really good point to make. Like just because uh, people are seeking a non-monogamous relationship doesn't mean that there is an inherent um, inequity between both partners, right? Uh, because I think that's sort of, um, that's coming from the quote-unquote cheating mentality. If you're in a monogamous relationship and someone cheats on you, someone has sex with someone else and cheats on you, well, then you're going to kind of come into the realm of, oh, like there was something missing, there was something that wasn't enough, there was some unfilled need, like Dosi and Easton, sorry, Dosi and Catherine said, there's some unfulfilled need that isn't being fulfilled and one partner decided to go elsewhere, right? Uh, so, but in a non-monogamous relationship, um, like cheating is defined otherwise, right? And I think that's also what most people don't understand. You can absolutely 100% still have infidelity within a non-monogamous relationship. And I think non-monogamous relationships have to have more agreement and more communication, um, maybe even more than a monogamous relationship, right? Um, or I should say maybe it's the same, but uh, there's still cheating that can happen in both situations, right? Uh, and cheating in a non-monogamous relationship could look different than what cheating in a monogamous relationship looks like, right? Because in a monogamous relationship, cheating may look like a physical interaction, right? Like I had sex with someone else, I kissed someone else. Um, it could be emotional too, like I started developing an emotional relationship with someone else, in a non-monogamous relationship, well, what is cheating? It could be doing a sex act with someone else where you and your primary partner agreed that you would not do that with anybody else but each other. Um, cheating in a non-monogamous relationship could look like, oh, you know, Friday nights are our night to spend together, but I scheduled a date with someone else on Friday night. Things like that can happen and can break the agreement. So I think we always have to come back to the fact that, like, from a monogamous perspective, cheating looks a lot different than in a non-monogamous relationship, right? And I think from the monogamous perspective, we um, people may think like, oh, wow, that's just like glorified cheating or that's just for people who don't want to commit. When in reality, if you're really operating from a healthy and communicative non-monogamous relationship, that takes a hell of a lot of loyalty. That takes a hell of a lot of communication, right? And that takes a lot of fucking work. So I kind of... I'm starting to feel like the frustration of like functioning non-monogamous couples who are very happy in their situation. Like I can understand why they feel frustrated and invalidated when um, like the status quo like invalidates their relationship. When in reality, if you read this book, right? And if you open your mind to something different, you would probably notice that like this kind of relationship takes a lot of communication and it takes a lot of, um, let's say balance. <laughs> uh, so on page 41, um, we talk a little bit more about like monogamy centric society. So uh, Dosi and Catherine, they say the prevailing attitude in most cultures today is the belief that monogamy is the only natural and moral sexual pattern 
or the normal or highest form of human relationship, often coupled with the term long-term or lifelong. This concept is so taken for granted that we usually don't even notice or question it. Your authors have to invent a term to describe it. Yeah, so we're so, guys, we're so conditioned to be monogamous that we don't even think about it, right? And then we shame people who, let's say, um, like, I don't know, I, I don't know it's exactly like a good example, but... Maybe let's say there is a person, um, like a younger person who's, you know, growing and dating and they think there's something wrong with them because they, you know, they love their partner, but they also want to sleep with other people still and they're still functioning from a place of that monogamous centric world and then they themselves think there's something wrong with them when really there's really nothing wrong with having sexual desires outside of your primary partnership in fact i think it's human nature right and i think that in reality there are so many forms that a relationship can take right um i also think something that's really harmful within a monogamous relationship um is kind of the notion that if you're really in love with someone you wouldn't want to have sex with someone else i actually think that's garbage (laughs) like that actually makes me angry because if we're actually being honest with ourselves Even if you're with like your dream partner and you guys are happily married in this monogamous relationship, you're fucking telling me that you're never going to have another sexual feeling for anybody ever again. Like, sorry, I call bullshit on that, right? And if you're operating from that place, I don't know if you're really ever going to be happy. Um, I think that in all of our relationships, whether they are monogamous or non-monogamous, I think we should all just, we should all just recognize and put it out there that we have sexual feelings for other people. Doesn't mean we have to act on it, but I think just by communicating that, uh, that can lead us to a healthier and closer bond with our partner. Again, whether it's monogamous or non-monogamous. And, oh gosh, like, I just can't even, I can't deal with that. (laughs) that uh that's that's like disney programming right and i just put out um a new blog on horoscopewitch.com about today which is um monday june 10th and today uh the sun is opposing jupiter and i wrote about um like what that means to me and i put in the title of the astrological weather as like our disney programming and i think it's like classic classic disney programming to have the notion that if you really really love someone you wouldn't want to be with someone else uh so challenge that challenge that programming right and are we are we engaging in self-denial when we when we have that programming right now it's not to say that you know i think people can be in love and be in a monogamous relationship and maybe not have a desire to sleep with anybody else but their primary partner. But come on, you're not even going to think anybody's ever cute again. Like, that's just bullshit, right? Uh, so let's see. Okay, so I will say that um, 
going more into like choosing a non-monogamous relationship or like choosing to experiment with non-monogamy or choosing to open up a closed marriage into an open marriage um I will say that I think it's kind of I don't want to call it trendy but I think I see a lot of like young people um you know doing this and being like non-monogamous um ethical sluts and I think that's amazing but I also think that uh we have to kind of check in with ourselves about like why we're truly doing it and I think Dosi and Catherine uh give some good insight so on page 156 really skipping ahead they say we suggest that before you let yourself slide into something um that you don't really want you do some serious thinking Oh, for Pete's sake. Sorry, guys. I read the wrong quote. Okay, so this is actually on page 60. Erase that. Beep, 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 beep. Go back. Um, so on page 60, they say, Alas, many people begin to explore open relationships because their partner is pushing them into it or because all their friends are doing it and they don't want to seem prudish. We ask that you get a cl- get clear within yourself. And that you're doing this for you because it excites you, because it offers you opportunities for learning and growth and fun, because you want to. Make no mistake, this can be a rocky road. And if you're navigating it for the wrong reasons, resentment can easily poison the very relationship you have set out to save. Okay. Yeah, so I like how they made that point. Like, and in a way, I think the only problem I really have with this book is that Josie and Catherine, they make it sound like pretty easy. Like, <laughs> whereas like me, again, like I'm speaking from like the average Joe Schmo perspective. Like I read this book and I'm total amazement for like how great it is and like how amazing the ideas are and how much it's opened my perspective and how much it has informed me about things I was previously ignorant about yet there's something that I still like raise my eyebrow at and I'm like okay this can't be that easy like this can't be that accessible right so um and again it could be and that's just probably my conditioning right so I would not encourage I would encourage you not to take my perspective but Um, I think we all have to get clear on what it exactly is we want. And remember, this is a rocky road, right? Like this could be the road to sexual liberation is rocky in some way. Uh, Whether we are embarking on sexual liberation with ourselves, with a monogamous partner, or with an ethically non-monogamous partner, right? All roads can be rocky. So, um... The other thing, going back to monogamy um, and our defaults to the monogamous lifestyle, here's what what made me think. So on page 156, Dosi and Catherine said, we suggest that before you let yourself slide into something that you don't really want, aka a monogamous relationship, you do some serious thinking and talking alone and together about what is the best form for this particular relationship. Talk to each other about what love means to you and how to fit into each other's lives. 
further on page 156. They said, do you have to live together? Why? Why not instead enjoy your friend for the things you like about him and find something else or someone else with which to share other things with? Sluthood means, among other things, that you don't have to depend on any one person to fulfill all your desires. Okay, yes. Oh my God, I loved how they said that. Can you imagine if they taught like kids this? Let's say like in around high school age, like if we taught people that like they didn't have to default into monogamy, I mean, we could probably never do that, right? Because society itself would just crumble. <laughs> like think about, I'm sorry, but think about how much our society depends on a monogamous way of doing and thinking. Uh, like monogamy is just what you did, right? I think there's a part of the book where they talk about like how monogamy, why it formed and it had to do with like, um, oh God, I don't even want to try to like paraphrase this, but they were talking about how like in um, like medieval times and in Europe where like marriage was coming, becoming more prominent and just became like people had to have big families to take care of their land and la 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 and that's just the default and but does that really work in our society right because I think it's kind of the opposite we have so much divorce uh, we have so much unhappiness in our relationships we have a lot of parts of the world just choosing to not get married at all and I think it is becoming apparent that maybe that traditional sense of marriage isn't for everybody anymore and I think that traditional sense of monogamy does need to be questioned right and I think it's interesting that they said, like, you know, be careful before you slide into something you don't want. Because why does every relationship or sexual interaction have to be about a monogamous commitment? Like they said, like, why can't you enjoy this friend and get something else out of another friend? Why does one person need to fulfill all your emotional needs? Now, that is where... I think ethical non-monogamy really appeals to me. <laughs> not to say that, like, I'm not sure if this is something I'm going to pursue in the future. I'll let you guys know, um, whatever. But I think there's certain aspects and just how I am in my chart and my astrology and who I am in general, apart from my astrology, that I do have a lot of deep emotional needs, right? Um, like I'm a double Pisces. I've got my moon square Pluto, like my God, I've got Neptune right on my descendant, like literally kill me. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like a really, 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 really emotionally needy person, right? And I think that's where ethical non-monogamy kind of is like, oh, you're telling me that like I could have a primary partner and I wouldn't have to like, you know, completely get all my needs from them and I could get my needs fulfilled elsewhere, even if it wasn't sexual, maybe if it was just an intimate emotional connection with multiple other partners um, maybe that would suit me. And that's what I love about this book. This book made me kind of think along those lines and think, okay, where is this going? Or like, uh, why am I doing the things I'm doing? Because there is a sense that 
that is how monogamy is failing me. It's not so much in that sexual way. Um, it's not so much that I desire to have multiple sexual partners, but I do desire like emotional connection with multiple people. And I have started to come to a realization that I'm not sure that one person can fulfill all of my emotional needs. And I think that's completely okay to admit. So that's something else that this book has really made me think about. And maybe by sharing that, you can also think about that for your own life. Um, now, one, uh, one more thing about, um, you know, page on page 156, they talk about like the benefits of being single and living single for a while and really figuring out like who you are and what you want. And um, they said, if you know that you're a person who tends to slide into coupledom, coupledom, we suggest spending some serious time trying to figure out why you've fallen into this pattern and what you hope to get out of being a couple. It is a very good idea for everyone to learn to live single, to figure out how to get your needs met without being partnered so you don't find yourself seeking a partner to fill needs that you ought to fill yourself, right? Yeah, and I think I think a lot of us go through life not ever being single, right? And I don't think there's anything wrong with that on a surface level, but when they, when Dosie and Catherine put it like that, like <laughs> kind of makes it seem like single could be fun, right? And that's another program we're fed. Single is miserable, right? When you're single, you know, you're lonely and la la la. When in reality, singlehood could be like an amazing time for self-realization and singlehood doesn't have to mean that you're sexually abstinent. Um, singlehood could just mean that you are working on yourself and what you need and you're working on fulfilling your emotional needs without projecting that onto another person. Um, okay, the one other thing that they say about love and like our conditioning, one thing that we've been fed, uh, going back to page 35, uh, there's this idea that is so important to this book and Dosia and Catherine they question the concept that love is finite. And let me ask you, dear listener, uh, when do you think love is finite? Now, I bet most of you on the other line, you probably think, no, no, I mean, I'm spiritual. Like, I know love is unconditional, right? I know my spirit guides and my ancestors and the universe and God, they all have unconditional love for me and I have the power of unconditional love within myself, right? Yet, okay, apply that to romantic relationships. Can you accept that there is infinite love between you and a romantic relationship? Now that's hard, right? Because when we're in a romantic relationship, we're fed the idea that the love perhaps between us is finite in some way. And that if that person started giving love to another person besides us, well, they would run out of love for us because they're giving it to another person, right? When in reality, maybe it's not like that, right? Maybe we have an infinite amount of love to give. And that's what they're saying on page 35. Uh, they say, many people believe... Um, explicitly or implicitly, 
that romantic love, intimacy, and connection are finite capabilities of which there is never enough to go around, and that if you give some to one person, you must be taking some away from another, right? So again, like I think that's why people are maybe triggered by non-monogamous relationships, especially if you classify yourself as serial, a serial monogamist. Um, like, let me ask you, like, is part of your monogamy, is it operating in the place of love is finite? And like, if I were to quote unquote, free this person, or if I were to release control from this person, isn't it kind of a fear that you would lose the love that they have for you? Um, and I think that's why a lot of monogamous people will subconsciously like be like, oh no, like I, I could never do that. Like including me, right? Including me. I can never do that. I could never be non-monogamous because like in being non-monogamous, you actually have to face that fear that, um, your partner's love for you may be finite. Uh, and that's not an easy fear to face, right? Now, I think you can get over it, and I think it takes, like, a special couple to have that infinite love between them, but I don't think it's impossible, and I don't actually think it's rare. I think we can definitely find partners that we have infinite love between one another, and if we choose to uh, transform our relationship or have a non-monogamous relationship with that infinite love, then there's really nothing wrong with that, right? So it's just food for thought here. Now let's move on to the other part of the book that I loved um, and kind of nearing the end of this talk on this book. Uh, the one thing that I really, really, really liked that uh, Dosi and Catherine said um, about sexual healing, specifically around page 61. Um, they said sexual change can be a path of reprogramming yourself. And I think that's so powerful because I think that a lot of the times in our personal transformations and our journeys about um, like self-discovery and discovering who we are and discovering you know our sense of self-worth and our insecurities and all that stuff right all the stuff that has to do with personal transformation I think sex is often left out of the equation in some way and um I don't know guys I'm thinking about like all these movies like okay think of any movie that uh depicts like a woman finding herself right and like somehow within that she ends up in a relationship by the end of the freaking movie <laughs> like somehow finding yourself it like parallels with finding like a monogamous partner when in reality like uh, like they said sexual change can be a path of reprogramming yourself right uh like in order to fully reprogram ourselves and fully come into our spiritual transformations we do have to um think about more deeply um, about our sexual healing and our sexual journeys, not only our sexual orientations, but really just our relationship to our own sexuality. And that's a huge part of the spiritual journey that a lot of people aren't willing to talk about or like aren't willing to 
put out there and that's okay because there's certainly a lot of shame and I think there is still that belief in some of us that like sex is private and it's just not something to be spoken about and I totally respect that but I also would love to see more um, practitioners kind of being more open about talking about that and like even as a practitioner myself like oh my god like I just want like any client future client of mine like I want them to know that they can literally say like anything to me right uh like we could literally talk about anything and I would would not judge them like we could talk about sex we could talk about sexual healing if we want to set the intention of sexual healing like we can totally do that like I'm so down for that and uh, I don't even know what I'm trying to say but I think like as a practitioner, if you call yourself a practitioner, whether you're a tarot reader, astrologist, um, whatever, energy worker, Reiki master, la 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 la, whatever label you have, um, there is a part of you that's probably going to have to do some kind of sexual healing within yourself so you can help others with their sexual healing too, right? Um, the other thing about sexual healing that the ethical slut brings up is... Um, 61 they say since we don't believe that the urge towards monogamy is innate we think you must have learned your negative sexual feelings and your insecurities somewhere from your parents from your past lovers from our culture and thus you can unlearn them okay I loved that message like I actually needed to hear that and I think I will say that again so I'll like paraphrase that so you can hear that too any feelings of negative sexual feelings against yourself that you have learned from your parents, from society, from past partners, because you learned them, you can unlearn them. Guys, I so needed to hear that from this book. Like, because there, I've said this before, you know, in my like d- deepest, darkest moments of self pity. <laughs> Like there, there is a part of me still that exists that feels like sexual liberation is just not like going to happen for me or there's like a part of me that maybe feels like that's just like an insurmountable goal because like I've just been such a sponge to my conditioning and I feel like I'm constantly battling my conditioning that I feel like, oh, I'm just, like, never going to get through this. Like, I'm just, like, never going to be sexually free. I feel like I'm never going to be able to, like, have sex without feeling a little bit of anxiety or, like, I'm never going to do this and la, 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 la. So for them to say that, like, if you've learned something, you also have the possibility to unlearn it, that really meant, like, so much to me. And in any context, you should know that. It doesn't matter your sexual orientation. It doesn't matter how you choose to go about your relationships, whether you're monogamous or non-monogamous, like any form of sexual shame can always be unlearned, right? Um, So that was really amazing. Now, I don't want to go on and on forever about this book because I, again, I really want to just give you guys the highlights. But the last section that I wanted to talk about was specifically the really amazing things that Dosi and Catherine talked about um with communication and I actually tried one of their tips with my friend the other night and it was kind of funny and uh on page 61 when it comes to communicating with your partner they say a good technique for listening 
is to hear what your partner has to say and let him know you hear him um, by telling him what he just said. Okay, by the way, um, Josie and Catherine, they use a mix of um, pronouns throughout this whole book. So they're not just directing that to like a heterosexual woman. They're directing that to everybody. They mix up their pronouns as they go about. Um, But yeah, so let me read that one more time. A good technique for listening is to hear what your partner has to say and let him know you hear him by telling him what you think he just said. (laughs) Okay, so I thought this was a really interesting idea because how many times do we like tell someone, especially our partner, something and we think they get it and then we realize later that they had no idea what we really meant, right? So, um, you know, I was, yeah, I was talking with a friend the other night and uh, he brought up, you know, we had some kind of like strange argument about... um, like who gets to pay for dinner and like I'm usually of the party that is like let's split the check um but there's like something with him that like really wants to pay for me and he somehow brought up that he knew he I was mad when he paid for my dinner whatever even though I wanted I like wanted to split it and he's he basically like was like no I I want to be nice. I want to pay for you and la la la. And he could tell it made me mad. So he's like bringing up this conversation and he he tells me like, okay, uh, yeah. So that's how that made me feel. And then I actually brought this up. I said, yeah, you know, like in this book that I'm reading right now, um, it was about communication. So like, you're trying to communicate that feeling to me, but let me, let me let you know how that's registering within me. And then I like sort of spark noted what he just said to me and I spark noted it back to him. And he was like, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying at all. Like, (laughs) so it's actually like a really, really good technique, I think. And it shows us just how much misunderstandings we have between our partners or like between anybody that we may be dating, even between our parents, our friends, our family, things like that. Um, If you can just ask for, hey, like, okay, we just had this discussion. I think that you understood everything that I was trying to say, but can you relay what I said back to me? Like, what did I just tell you? And like, listen to what they have to say and like, just see, see if it matches. (laughs) Because honestly, yeah, like how many times, again, how many times do we have to try to communicate with someone and it just gets lost or they don't understand what we're truly trying to say? Um, so the other thing that I will bring up and there is like, again, like this book is filled with stuff like I didn't even cover like 25% of what this book talks about. I mean, they go over, um, you know, they go over different sexual orientations and what it may mean uh, for you to identify with a sexual orientation. Um, They go into more details about how to conduct an ethically non-monogamous relationship. Um, They have a chapter about, you know, love. They even give some tips about breakups and about like just how to turn yourself on. Now, and there are like sex tips, quote unquote, here and there, but it's not the kind of like cheesy sex tip that like Cosmo or something like that would give you. Um... They were, 
um, they gave this one thing that at first, now the like, whatever, Virgin Mary prude in me, <laughs> I'm trying to um, get out of my body. <laughs> um that person like did not want to say this or not want to elaborate on this but I will challenge myself and just elaborate on this right now I'm just going to read it first it's sort of like a pseudo sex tip but I found it to be like really interesting concept that most of us may not think about or most of us may not be willing to do and I think perhaps in listening to me read this, you may have the initial reaction to like cringe, but I, and maybe that was just my initial reaction, (laughs) if I'm being honest, but then the more I sat with it, the more I was like, wow, that's like fucking genius. So I'm just going to read it. Um, On page 100, uh, Dosi and Catherine, they say, if you really want to be the world's greatest lover, you want and you want your partner to know exactly what pleases you the most. Try masturbating in the same room. Who knows, you two might like to watch. We find it a tremendous turn on. And in watching or showing, you will teach and learn from each other um, one's individual pattern of pleasure and become the most perfect and the most perfectly satisfied lovers that could ever be. So I think that was like really interesting to think about. And it's interesting that, you know, I've said this before and I'm not the first person to say this and this is not in any way my like original idea or anything, but like sex ed or like sexual education um, for young people, it doesn't have anything to do with pleasure. It doesn't have anything to do with enjoying sex. It doesn't have anything to do with masturbation or anything like that. It's really most of the time just from a centered place of you need to be abstinent and pregnancy is the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Or getting an STD is the worst thing that could ever happen to you. But like that's why I appreciated that little snippet from this book because it was almost like hearing something that I wish someone told me when I was like 16 that like showing someone how you would like to be pleased and having your partner show you how they would like to be pleased that's not only like a great idea but that shows like mutual respect about the sexual interaction you are about to have because when you ask someone to show you um, how they like to be touched what you're actually saying is like I would really like to please you in the most pleasurable way possible right for you so in asking like doesn't that just make the sexual experience like all that more comfortable or like all that more considerate conscientious right um like and that makes sort of the intimacy a little bit deeper and it focuses the sexual interaction away from that like goal of orgasm and it focuses it more on just the goal of having a pleasurable experience for both people so that's the reason I share that snippet specifically. I just thought it was like really an interesting concept. And I think if we went into sexual interactions with that in our back pocket, 
they could we could have more enjoyable sex sexual interactions and could you imagine okay like if we started to as a society transform and i know i talked about this in the taurus episode but if we a started to transform our discussions about consent right and then b we started to transform our con- conversations about pleasure uh that's going to change us and that's going to change how we operate as a society and that's going to change how we go into our sexual interactions for the better right um and again i think if we made a point to ask our partner like hey um can you show me how you'd like to be touched although again like that may sound like cringy to some of you like i think at the end of the day i would actually appreciate greatly if someone asked me that <laughs> and cuz it would make me feel like they cared about my pleasure right and i think sometimes in sexual interactions haven't we all had you know maybe an interaction or two where we didn't feel like our partner like truly cared about what we want or like truly cared about us feeling safe or etc etc so that's kind of my last tidbit that I wanted to offer but like I said this book is so good I wouldn't pick it if I didn't think it was good and I really just wanted to give you guys the highlights and some food for thought I would really um encourage you encourage you to read this book and if you do um order it or end up reading it please feel free to send me a dm and i will put the full title of the book and the author's names in the show notes and i think that's about all i have to say now for the next book i'm a little bit torn um i was thinking about doing a book called taking charge of your fertility um but i'm not sure if I want to do that quite yet. Uh, but also feel free to send me any like book recommendations. Some of you already have. I've really appreciated it. Um, and maybe even feel free to send me anything like, hey, like I really liked that, but next time can you do an astrology book? Or like next time can you do a tarot book? Again, I'm trying to stick to more books that are like for everybody and like someone, everybody can get something out of it. And uh, yeah, so if you enjoyed this episode, please pass it on to a friend. Thank you so much. If you left me a rating, a five-star rating on iTunes, I so, so appreciate it. Um, Feel free to check out my blog. This week, I just posted uh, the astrological forecast. And I think that's about it, guys. So thank you so, so, so much. Love you so much. And we'll talk soon. See you later.